0: well good morning church all right everybody's wide awake this morning you must have got your coffee shot before you came to church today all right isn't it just awesome worshiping together have not we just been having some amazing times just worshiping the lord together i mean come on somebody I tell you, there is nothing like getting together with the people of God and worshiping, and now we get the honor and privilege of hearing His word. So just open up your hearts this morning to receive the word that God has given. Joe McGee, would you give him a big word of grace welcome as he comes out this morning? Good morning, everybody. God bless Wisconsin. I said that last night. I told them, you know, uh, we do about 80 seminars a year. If you go to Texas and you say, God bless Texas, they'll have a revival breakout. I mean, I don't care if you're in Corpus Christi or Dallas. Doesn't matter where you You say, God bless Texas, they'll come out of their seat. They're real proud to be Texas. They'll holler and scream. And we'll finally get them seated back down. I said, well, I'm glad you love Texas. I said, because I love Texas. Now, personally, I'm an Okie. And Okies, we think a lot of Texas. We'd rather whip you than anybody. We don't care if we go 0 and 12 during the football season. we whip Texas, there's a God in heaven. We'd rather beat you than anybody in America. That's what we think of you. God bless you. Of course, they'll stare just like you did. Is that good? Trust me, it's good. We honor you. But God bless Wisconsin. People don't know you're up here. You know that, don't you? You're just a... Uh, they don't. They don't know Wisconsin exists. Now, where's that at? Well, it's up north. And if you ever drive... Every time I come up here, and I've been coming here for a long time, you know, once you kind of leave Milwaukee, you head this direction. It's like, it's just... It's a poster. It's just a big calendar. It's like, this isn't a real place. They just created this to make calendars. (laughs) No, it is a real place. You work real hard. Uh, I'm going to pick up the pace and talk sort of fast because I have a house full of women. And to (laughs) say something, you have to say it quick. And so I have uh, six kids, five girls and a boy. So John and I are outnumbered. So to say something, we've sort of got a bad habit of talking fast. Now... My wife said, please hold it down, so I will. So she's already cleared me for this morning. I teach on the family. I worked in the electrical industry for years as an engineer, and uh, God called us into the ministry, so we went back to school. I got a job in the local church staff as a children's pastor, then I took over their school, and uh, school administrator for a while and did that, and then I got to know Pastor Willie George, you know, Dry Gulch USA, he's, he's my pastor, it's my home church, and I've been there for a long time, and... Uh, So I worked for him for about a year as what they call a kind of crusade coordinator. We traveled all over America, and we taught seminars on family and parenting. And so 20 years ago, God said it was time for me to kind of do it full time. So we do it now, and we teach seminars on marriage and parenting, men, teens, and uh, anything to do with the home. Home was the first thing God made. Home came first. Church came second. Church came along to put the home back together. God had Adam and Eve, had them in a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden. economy was great. Neighbors were wonderful. Clothes were cheap. It was a great place. (laughs) But sin came into the first family, and sin has death attached to it. And, And when Adam and Eve sinned, they got fired from their job. They got evicted from their house, and their kids started killing each other. And so all that mess that happened in the family didn't happen in the 1960s. It happened in the Garden of Eden. In the United States, we are the number one Christian nation on the face of the planet. More Christians per capita here than any place else. We also have the highest divorce rate. Nobody has a higher divorce rate than we do. Uh, Today in America, there are more blended families than there are core families. People used to ask me, Joe, do you teach on the blended family? I said, no. How come? I said, well, I don't think I need to. And they said, well, there's a lot of blended families. I said, I know. I come from a big family. Most of them are blended. And why don't you teach on the blended family? I said, every family in the Bible was blended. Abraham's family was blended. Isaac's family was blended. Jacob's family was blended. David's family was blended. Solomon's family. There wasn't a normal family in the whole book. (laughs) They're all blended. It doesn't make anything special. God's still God. He still does the same thing. But I believe the word of God that, you know, we're on a a planet here. And so one of the things that uh, I realized being a parent, I, I love my kids. Now, we wanted five. When we got married to a we wanted five kids. We came from families of 12. We thought, five, that's a good number, not 12, five. That's a small number. And so, but God does above and beyond all you can ask or think, so we have six. And, uh, and he's, God has a great sense of humor. And uh, having uh, six kids will not make you holy or famous. It will make you insane and broke if you don't know what to do with them once they show up. And so, of course, we love having them, and everybody shows up and have a baby. They bring presents and gifts and take pictures, and then they leave. They don't show back up until the kid turns 18. And, uh, and you wish they were there in the between time. Then, of course, eventually, as a parent, you want them to leave. It's time for you to go, leave, stay away, move <laughs> off. And, uh, but they don't, you know. If you kick them out too early, they'll make friends and bring them back home and live with you, and you don't want that, you want to try to launch them. And I realized, you know, we don't know what family is. We've got to have to, we're going to have to learn what this is. And so um, when I was working on church staff, we were having great success as a church. church went from nothing to about 3,500 people in just a few short years, and we didn't know why. We had no evangelism. We didn't know what evangelism was. We, we, we don't know why they're showing up. They just show up. And it was that early 70s supernatural move of God. And so, of course, eventually that wave hit the shore, and nobody showed up. We had to go get people. And we had to learn how to reach out and do things. And, um, but it was during that time we have great success on Sunday, but Monday through Friday at church our counseling rooms were packed with family situations, problems in the marriage, the home, money, uh, messed up sexual lives, you name it. And it was like, what? who are these people? Well, these are the people packing the church out on Sunday. You know, what's going on? Well, the Bible says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We knew Jesus. We just don't know how to live. And I realized something in life. I met a lot of people. I've been to every one of my high school reunions, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, and it's a revelation to go to those things because we are in a very rural community. We all knew each other. Our fathers worked all in the same community there uh, in East Tennessee. And so uh, it was funny. You go back to the family reunions or school reunions, you realize people that were Christians 40 years ago are still Christians, People that were a heathen 40 years ago are pretty much still heathen. The amazing thing was there are people that I went to high school with who didn't know Jesus 40 years ago. They still don't know Jesus today, but they have great marriages, really great marriages. They have great families. They're making really good money. They're really happy. And I've got some people I went to high school with where we went to each other's churches and revival meetings. They were saved 40 years ago. They're still saved. And sometimes they can't get out of a reunion without them and their spouse breaking out in a verbal assault on one another broke his dirt, laid off, messed up, dying. It's like, what happened? I mean, if we're the church, what happened to us? We're we're getting a dog stomped out of us. Something, we missed something somewhere. And I realized, well, look, it's got to be in the Word of God someplace. And I remember David one time prayed to God, and David was mad. King David, he said, how come the heathen prosper? You know, their cows aren't sick. Their wives aren't crazy. Their kids aren't stupid. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing, but it's in there. And God answered and said, well, it's because the devil's got them. And David said, what? The devil's got them. The devil's not a torturer. He's a murderer, John 10. 10. He kills, he steals, <laughs> he destroys. He's not, he's not trying to make a miserable. He's trying to take them to hell. He's got them. Therefore, he's not bothering them. You, on the other hand, belong to me. You've got a bullseye painted on both sides. <laughs> hell coming. <laughs> it's just a nice thought before you go to sleep. <laughs> But that's why we realize that we have been given armor. You know, it makes a great sermon, except it's a real deal. I'm on an alien planet. I'm not home. I'm headed home. I'm married. I've got kids on this planet. I've got employees. I've got things and parents and investments on this planet. Well, what is going on, on this planet? Well, the devil has control of this planet. When Adam leaves sin, Satan became the temporary little god of planet Earth. Second Corinthians 4, four. Satan is the god of this planet. Jesus is not Lord over this planet. If he is, he's doing an incredibly sorry job. Everybody says, well, Jesus is Lord. Well, not over this planet. If he is, he stinks at it. Because there's war and famine death and dying. Hospitals are full. Prisons are full. Jesus is Lord. Where's he at? Well, he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. (coughs) It's a really great place. Gold Streets, Pearly Gate, Laser Light Show, air conditions. Really good. (laughs) We're not there. We're down here. And so what happens when you don't read the Bible, you'll get mad at God. Most everybody I deal with, I'm the only preacher in my family. And I happen to be Pentecostal charismatic, which really makes them mad. I'm the one they talk about at family reunions. Hey, that's, you know. <laughs> Unless hell lands. Now, when hell lands, I'm the guy that gets the phone call. And you know, can I you? Sure, what did you can pray for? Sure, I'd love to pray for you, ignorant, thumb sucking, stiff necked, <laughs> hell bound heathen. I just want to love on you. Been thinking about you later. I'm oh, sorry, I don't say that. I just thought a couple times. Anyhow. And so when hell ends, they'll call because uh, the, the devil has blinded the minds of everybody on this planet. When I began to realize, when I'm trying to make sure my children were successful, I want you to pass the algebra. I want you to get out of school. I want you to get a great job and date somebody that's sane. You know? <laughs> but I mean, that's the most important thing. I had to make sure they knew who they were. People who live home, uh, go out of their house not knowing who they are, that they are, they're looking for life. And so they're the class clown, the bully, the show off. They play the loudest music. They peel their tires. They wear the hat backwards. They, pe- you know, they put loud music in the car. You can hear their car coming a mile away. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> you know? And say, so What is that? You ever, I mean, we were pumping gas at a gas station across my office a few months ago, and this kid pulled up, and I had a couple of my adult kids with me, and he pulled up, and he's got the neon lights under his car. You know, I don't know how many. I mean, that thing looks like a spaceship. It glows even <laughs> in the daytime. He left the motor running while he pumped gas, which you're really not supposed to do. You know, he's got the music so loud. You can hear it a half a block away, and he's just pumping gas. And so I'm just staring at him while I'm pumping gas, and he says, Dad, Dad, don't stare. No, no, stare. He, he wants you to stare. LAUGHTER that's why he's invested all that money. He's, he wants you to look. Just look at him. And finally he did it. It's <laughs> that's why when I was a kid, we dressed like Elvis. We wanted to wear our hair like Elvis, and curl our lips like Elvis. She like Elvis, Elvis died with his underwear around his ankles in front of his toilet. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's not the way you're supposed to go out. The king died in front of his toilet. Not good. So <laughs> the world gets us chasing stuff that's not real. Well, if you don't teach them when they're real, when they're young, they're gonna chase something else when they get older. It's like, you know, and, and the loud you know, what it was like, please look at me, I don't know who I am. The Bible says, Mark then of a perfect man, then no, of that man is peace. People who know who they are, they don't have to prove anything to anybody. I am accepted in the beloved. God loves me just like I am, works and all. I don't have to prove a thing to God. God sent His Son to die for me. My, my, my Savior praised me every day. I got angels camping around right about me. God surrounds me with a shield of divine favor, orders my steps, directs my paths, talks to me when I go to sleep and I get up. That's why you read the Word of God. Why? I'm already accepted and loved. I don't have to earn it. It's a gift. I just received it. You're supposed to do that when they're early. So one of the things I realized when I was an engineer, I was what they called a manufacturing process engineer. And I taught this last night. You can get it. They recorded it. But I'm going to kind of take it a further today. My job, I got hired to do two things when people hired me. Uh, you know, I did work in the electrical industry. My father was an electrician. I worked for him when I was in high school and college. And, uh, but I'm not an electrical engineer. And so you're an electrical engineer? So, no, no, I'm a manufacturing engineer, or they called it a, a process engineer. Companies hire me for two reasons. They would hire me to make sure that the product they're making does what they say it does. If I go down to Home Depot or, you know, some big place and I get a box of something, wire or something, I'm the guy to make sure that that, that that wire better do what that box says it does, that they're not lying. So I'm sort of a quality control guy. But the second thing I get hired to do is a year from the day they hire me, that product better be better than it was a year ago. I'm to improve the process of making that product. I'm to improve the product, not just the product itself, but the profit for the product. So my job's to make them more money by helping that product do better than it's doing right now. And so I would go in, and it was amazing. People didn't understand me, and some didn't like me. Well, who are you? you know, I'm, Well, I'm the new white-collar guy. What do you do? Well, i make sure you do your job. <laughs> and, uh, and, and of course, then, you don't know what you're doing. Well, believe it or not, I do. Uh, my job is to understand the process. And so I was sharing last night. I got called in one time about 2 in the morning. The big breakdown machine at this plant in Sykes, Missouri had just shut down. Well, it runs everything in the plant. Everybody's job and paycheck depends on that big machine. And they confirm what's wrong with it. So when well, I brought me in, I said, what is it? Well, the breakdown machine is not running. That's 2 in the morning. Everybody's in a bad mood. Man, everybody's mad. So the first thing I asked was, so, where's the manual? Get me the manual to the machine. Now, you think that would be a common statement? But it shocks most people. They said, what? Well, <laughs> the machine came with a manual. You know, how it should run. I need the manual that came with the machine. Where's the manual? <laughs> And most of the time, they don't have a clue. I don't, I don't know. It's in an office somewhere. Well, let's see if we can find it. Because the manual tells you how the machine should be running. If it's not running, the manual should tell you why. <laughs> so we finally found the manual in the bottom drawer. And I open, I go right to the back. It's got a section on problem-solving right in the back, even for the big you know, $400,000 machine, problem-solving. All right, not running. Okay, let's see. And it was pretty simple, and so I looked at it for a few minutes, closed it up, and I walked down the back. And this machine's right in the back corner of the plant, so I looked down the, between the machine and the wall there, and there's just, you know, it's just nasty people spit tobacco juice and throw in the trash and old hot dogs and just skanky looking. So, anyhow, I walked down the wall and I looked down the back hall of this machine. It's a real long machine, about 30, 40 yards long, and I saw the big 220 plug. Now, it wasn't unplugged, but it's hanging out. I thought, hmm. Now they don't know what I'm doing. They can't see me. I'm the engineer fixing everything. So I eased down the back hallway and that plug, <laughs> and I took my foot, boom, and I kicked it in. All of a sudden, boom. <laughs> so it took me a few minutes to walk back out. and said, "What'd you do?" I fixed it. If it tears up again, call me. I'm not lying. I didn't tell them. If you're know not going to look, I'm not telling you what I did. I'll send you an invoice. You write me a check. Now I spent, I spent almost 11 years doing that what you do? I read the book. Where's the book? Every machine has a book. All humans have a book. We came with a manual. This is how we're to function. If you don't function according to the manual, you're really messed up. <laughs> That's when we have the highest divorce rate, prisons are full of hunting. Well, you didn't read the manual that came with the humans. Humans have a manual, how you live. <laughs> Everything hums with power. Uh, I love water. We, my family, we loved our white water raft and stuff back in the southeast and go to the lake. And water will quench your thirst. You can ski on it, swim in it. But if you don't respect the laws that govern water, water will drown you dead. I love fire. Got a big fireplace in my house, my family room. Got two fire pits outside. People come over and we'll do hay rides and roast marshmallows and stuff. Fire will keep you warm, give you a romantic evening, grill your steak, and it will burn you to death if you don't respect the laws that govern it. Everything God made, hums with power. Marriage is the closest thing to heaven on earth, or it is the closest thing to hell on earth. Based one thing alone, what you do with it. Gravity works whether you're saved or not saved. You take two people, put them on a tall building, both there on top, one saved, one not saved, shove both of them off. They're both common to the ground. Gravity has no respect for Christians. Gravity doesn't say, hey, that's a believer. Bring him down slow.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Gravity doesn't care. It's going to pancake you to the concrete. And so as we begin to look there, realize something we need to know. So last night we talked about all men have three jobs. Now, get last night I go into detail. This is just a summation. All males have three jobs, whether you're saved, not saved, married, or not married. All men are lovers. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. My job's to love my wife. Now, love is the First Corinthians 13 love, not the twitter pated Valentine love. I love you. That's not love. That's a hormone. It only lasts about 18 months. It just shuts off one night, and you wake up next to a devil the next morning. And that's a fact. The real kind of love is what you give. For God so loved the world, he gave. Love is the most expensive four-letter word in the universe. You ever tell somebody, I love you? I tell them, before you ever get that out of your mouth, get out your billfold, your checkbook, your 401K, get all your CDs, get your pickup truck, your shotgun, your hunting dog, your basketball, and pile them all on the table. Look over the top of all that as you look at that lady and say, hey, I love you. Because if love's not costing you something, it's not love. I taught teenagers for you, I tell girls, that guy tells you e, he I love you. If he's driving his daddy's car, wearing the clothes that his mama's washed, still sleeping under his family's roof, he doesn't love you at all. He he has no concept of what love is. Amen. That's a hormone talking, it's not love. Love's gonna cost you something. Dating you hadn't cost him a dime. That's a deep thought. I told my five daughters, when they got married, one of the things, and I'm not making this up, we just, I grew up in poverty. My wife grew up in poverty, mining families. We were poor as dirt and thought God was the reason. We hated rich people. We hated God. When I turned 17, I realized it wasn't God's fault that rich people were rich, not because they were lucky, because they worked harder. <coughs> and that was a deep revelation for me. <laughs> I think I need to go to work like, really hard. I realize you only get paid for two things. You get paid for what you know and what you can do. And if you don't know more than somebody else and you can't do more than somebody else, you don't get paid more than somebody else. And based on my paycheck, I didn't know anything, nor could I do anything. <laughs> Let's back off that just a second. When I realized as, as a young man, like my wife and I, we, we uh, three years into our marriage, we were ready to get a divorce. And I married her because I loved her. I told her I did had no concept of I means I married her because she's a good-looking gal. Really pretty. Pretty, pretty. I'm like, not even pretty, wrong word. I mean, she's beautiful. like, whoa. He said, what did you marry her for? I said, what? What did you marry her for? My God, look at her. Where you from? Check it out. Not only does it look good, it smells good. It, it kisses incredibly well. I mean, still does. Forty-one years, she still sucked the lips off my face. I tell you, we didn't have six kids because we loved kids. Kids were not on my mind at the time. I mean, I had to stop getting goofy on this. And number four, she could cook good. So I thought, I see no reason to date anybody else. I got mine. I hope you get yours. Well, the problem is, when we got married, she started talking. She had never talked a lot. It was like... You need to shut up and put some makeup on. <laughs> you think I'm lying I said that? I'm in it, too. <laughs> and, uh, and so three years in we're ready for a divorce. Why, I hate your guts. Oh, you roasted in hell, and I'm cleaning that up a lot. I told her stuff. that's just nasty. Life. But we wouldn't get a divorce because our big families, 12 brothers and sisters, my dad's side, her dad's side, no divorce. We had people that made moonshine, steal your car, burn your house down, but no divorce. That's a sin. <laughs> And so we, wouldn't, we weren't going to be the first ones. And So thank God we got invited to this Bible study by this crazy spiritual Methodist and you know, got us back in fellowship with God, got us filled with the Holy Ghost. We finally started reading the Bible and I realized, oh my goodness, I didn't know what a man what he was supposed to be. So I realized I was, supposed to be, I was supposed to love Denise whether she loves me or not. My job, it's not I love you if you love me, I'm nice to you if you're nice to me. No, God said you're going to love her. I don't care what she does. You're going to love her. That's my command. You will love your wife like my son loved you. My son loved you and you're going to hell. Not because you are nice. Love is an unconditional thing. So I said, oh, my goodness, nobody told me that. I'm supposed to be a leader. 1 Corinthians 11.3 is God's the head of Christ. Christ's the head of man. Man's over the woman. Woman's over the children. Children's over the dog. Dog's over the cat. Cat's over the mouse. mouse over the cheese. The a pecking order in the kingdom of God. But the word header is not dictator. It's source. God is the source of Christ. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. If you see me, you've seen my father. Jesus turns around to men and says, gentlemen, without me you can't do a thing, but with me all things are possible. He's not my boss, he's my source. A man so turned to his wife and says, honey, what do you need? I'm either going to write a check for it or start believing in God for it. I'm not your boss, I'm not your dictator, I'm your source. And I've had many, I only deal with Christians, you better do what I say because I'm the head of the family, you better do what I say. No, you're not the head, get your apron on, you're the source. You're the number one servant in the family. It's an upside-down pyramid. Jesus told the disciples, you want to be great in my kingdom, become the servant of all. You become great by serving, not dictating. But I've dealt with more men. Well, I'm the head. Oh, God, you do it. I was like, you're a doofus. You egged thumb-sucking five-year-old, bless your heart. Let's sit down here. Let's help you out. And so I realized that I've got to lead. My wife needs me to lead. And, of course, men hate leading because we don't like looking stupid. You ever have men get lost on vacation? They won't ask for directions. <laughs> They just won't stop. They're going to drive out a half a tank of gas and still brag about, Took me half a day, but I found it. Bless God. I'll like. Women will stop and ask for directions, make friends, swap recipes, and change phone numbers with people. Like, that. It's like God made men and women very different on purpose. When two people are just alike, one of you is not needed. And that's a revelation, isn't it? God looked at Adam and said, You, you need help. First time they said in the Bible, Good, 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 good. Not, not good. Who was he talking to? A man? I'm no, not good. Lay down here. Take a nap. <laughs> so God took out a rib, and Adam woke up, and there was the centerfold of all creation. Like, oh, goodbye, y'all God. <laughs> but he realized something. When God took that rib out, he took stuff out of him he doesn't have anymore. She's got it. But, ladies, God didn't take every rib out, he left some ribs behind. There are things women are good at, men will never be good at. Things men are good at, women will never be good at. We're not better, we're different. Two are better than one. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9. Matthew 18, 19. If any two of you will agree on anything you ask the Father to be done here on earth. Two is a powerful number. The devil knows that. That's why he's kind of separate. You and your spouse. You and your kids. He's a divider. Jesus is united. Father, make them one together like you and I are one. So all of a sudden you begin to realize, oh my goodness, we're in the middle of a mess here. You now I'm a lover. I'm a leader. I'm a provider. 1 Timothy 5.8. Any man that does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel. He is as one who has denied the faith. Well, I've got to take care of my family financially. So I realize I don't care who the president is. I don't care what the stock market's doing. I don't care what the economy's doing or the weather's doing. It has nothing to do with me. I'm a child of God. My God supplies all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm surrounded with the shield of divine favor, Psalm 512. People like me and they don't even know why. God prospers all I set my hand to, it takes pleasure in my prosperity. I may be in this world, I'm not of this world. And if you don't get that in you, you're gonna be a thumbsucker all of your life, blaming somebody else for your financial lack. Well, if it wasn't for my boss, I'd have been somebody. If it wasn't for the president, I'd be doing it. if it wasn't for the Congress, if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for them, we'd be doing good. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. you are a thumbsucker, no. You don't belong to that kingdom anymore. You've been taken out of that kingdom and you've placed in God's kingdom. Now I might be still on an alien planet where Satan's the god of this world, but he has no control over me. Matter of fact, I've been told to storm his gates. He said, you will storm the gates of hell. They'll not prevail against you. I play offense. I don't play defense. I'm not hiding out trying to hang on. God's my rear guard. I don't have to play defense. I am an offensive individual. And so that's my job description. Ladies, you have a different job description. Uh, Genesis 2 says, God took to them and said, I'm going to make you a help meet. Help meet. Helper. Help meet. Now, the first half of that word is help. Help. Per. Help. Meet. You've got to get the whole word together you got that cuz most people think I married a devil no he didn't you married a gift that's a gift from god for you a spouse is a gift from god to reveal character flaws in your life you did not know how stupid you were until you got married <laughs> cuz a spouse tells you the truth the truth sets you free <laughs> anyhow women are to help a man but a woman cannot help a man who's not doing anything that's why the greatest need of all men's vision Proverbs twenty nine and eighteen, where there's no vision, the people perish. Second job of a woman's First Timothy five fourteen, she is to manage the home. Men aren't the head of the home; women are the head of the home. I tell them, you think you're the head of your house? Hang that deer head in the living room. <laughs> She'll let you leave it there about a week, and that puppy's going to the garage. You have to build your own room for it. <laughs> Number three, women are also lovers. Titus two forces older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands and love their children. That's not the love It's the serving kind of love. You have to be trained in that. So all of a sudden I realized marriages have job descriptions. If you don't do them, you're going to make a mess. The devil's going to get in the middle of that, and it's going to be horrible. Then I realized kids were different. I love kids, but kids have a certain way they have to be trained up. The Bible's full of scripture. God, you go all the way back to Genesis, God said, I'm going to pick Abraham. Genesis 18, 19, I'm going to start a whole race of people with this one man right here. He can't even have babies. He's past baby-bearing years, but I'm going to do a miracle in him, and they're going to start a whole race of people. I said, God, why don't you pick this man? He said, because I know him. What do you know about him? I know that he will teach his children and his grandchildren. Now Abraham was not a perfect man. He tried to give his wife away twice. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> he had a habit of lying all the time. God, you picked a lying and give away wife person. <laughs> I know I'm working on some stuff on him, but I do know him. I know that if I give this to him, he won't grow and die with it. He'll, he'll pass it on to the next generation. Psalm 78, God made a law and told Jacob, I'm going to bless you. My command is you teach your children to the fifth generation. You teach your children, your grandchildren, your great grand, your great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren your that they might have hope in God. God puts huge weight on passing on the faith to the next generation. Because if we don't teach them, they'll take over our country, our government, our churches, our communities, and they don't know God. They don't want to know God. They make fun of God. And that's why we read last night, Jude, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Matthew 24, Luke 17, the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, heady, high minded, crucifixers, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, disobedient to parents. Who are we talking about? We're talking about adults that were not trained as children. Ran up a child in the way she go when he's old and not. To depart from him. Isaiah 54, 13, all of our children should be taught of the Lord. Great will be their peace and undisturbed composure. Isaiah 28, 19, whom shall we teach? The deep doctrines of God, those who wing from the mothers. The Bible's packed like a sardine can. Teach, train, teach, train, teach, train, teach, train. Church's number one job, teach, train, teach, train. What are we doing? Passing on our faith to the next generation. Jews believe in it. Nobody likes Jewish people. You ever notice that? Hey, I want you to meet my Jewish friend. I I never heard the word Jew growing up without filthy, stinking rich in front of it. Who lives there? Bunch of filthy, stinking rich Jews. Who owns that building? Bunch of filthy, stinking rich Jews. (laughs) When I went to University of Tennessee, we were in skanky dorms. I said, who's in the nice dorms? That's where the filthy, stinking rich Jews are. I thought, my God, I I wish I was a filthy, stinking rich Baptist (laughs) or a filthy, (laughs) stinking rich Pentecostal. I wish somebody cussed me like that, you know. But if you get to know the Jewish culture, you know, they are commanded to train up the next generation. That's what a bar mitzvah is. If you've ever been to one, or a bat mitzvah for a girl, you can turn 13, they're an adult. They go see the rabbi, they quote the five books of the Old Testament, they are commanded to know that. They're an adult at 13 and a mature adult at 30. Now, I don't know if you understand the rules, 2% of the United States is Jewish, Orthodox Jewish, not the wannabe. 2% of all Americans are Orthodox Jews. They account for one-third of all multi-millionaires in our country. One-third. They count for 25% of all hospital staff as far as doctors and nurses. When we were playing sports, Jewish kids are reading books. And I got a Jewish friend in Port Chester, New York I see every year. Love the last guy. He never buys lunch, by the way. Never. <laughs> <laughs> he could too. It's, uh... Anyhow. So I asked him one time, I said, well, I said, uh, how come you people have more money? He said, What? Jewish people, how come you have more money that's when nobody likes you? You're all filthy, stinking rich, nobody likes you. He said, We don't have more money, we just keep more money. Well, how did you get it to King? He said, well, he said, how many holidays do you celebrate in America as a Christian, Joe? I said, what? He said, how many holidays do you celebrate as a Christian? I said, I don't know. He said, seven. Easter, Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving. You know, he had a, some religious connotation. He said, I celebrate seven holidays as a Jewish boy. So I remember asking my father, what do we celebrate? Passover. What's that about? They almost killed us off. <laughs> oh, bad holiday. Let's get to the next one. <laughs> Next holiday, what do we celebrate, Dad? Purim, what's that about? Esther, what's that about? They almost killed us off. (laughs) Every holiday was a reminder nobody likes us. Nobody. You know, when we showed up at Ellis Island, they called us Christ killers and beat us and shoved us back in the water. He said, we realize something. If we go into something, we have to be in charge of it, not just participate in it. He said, let me tell you the difference between my son and your son, Joe. While your son's filling out a great resume, my son will be filling out a great business plan. When your son's trying to get a job at the company, my son will be buying the company. And that's the difference in me and you. And I realized when we left lunch, I thought, man, you arrogant. No wonder nobody likes you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I got to thinking he was right. He was right. And I, I collected all the Jewish businesses from Home Depot, Zell's Jewelers, Seagram Whiskey. All these successful companies in America are all started by and owned by Jewish families. I can't find any charismatic families that start too many businesses. Well we're all waiting on God. And we said we're just waiting on the Lord. Well, like you see, backlogged and real busy. Did you get a ticket and a number? When can he get to you next Thursday? Because <laughs> I thought he was all knowing and all powerful. If he's so stinking big, how come there's a backlog? What are we waiting on? Nobody's waiting on God. God's waiting on us. And I used to tell my kids, God's waiting on you. So I realized here I am on an alien planet. Let's do this in Genesis. Satan took over this planet in Genesis. God came down in the flesh and he said, no, Kim said, one day I'm going to come in the flesh and take it back. The entire Bible is a story of two men, the first Adam and the second Adam. First Adam lost it, second Adam got it back. A human lost it, a human's got to get it back. The silent night, holy night, Week three kings of Orient are Christmas. That's not just a holiday. God had a problem. He gave the planet to a human, said, this is yours. Take dominions to do, control it, it's all yours. When Adam sinned, Satan became God of this planet. That's why God told that, well, now it's going to happen now that you sin. Thorns and thistles are going to grow up. It used to be prosperity was everywhere. Now you have to work by the sweat of your brow. It used to you and Eve had a great deal, but won't happen anymore. Marriage has got a curse on it now. Your wife's desire is going to be to rule over you, but she's going to, but you're going to ruthlessly rule over her. So male chauvinism and women's liberation were born in the Garden of Eden when sin came on the planet. But because nobody reads the Bible, they don't understand. Do you understand what the problem is? The manual, what's the problem? I'm on an alien planet. Satan is the god of this planet. But I've been born again. I'm not part of this world. I belong to a different world. My family doesn't belong to this. Our family belongs. We're still here. We're not of it. We think different. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So, we've got to meditate on this day and night. Then we prosper and have good success. Because if I feed on the world, it's going to scare me. I've got gas prices are up and houses are going up and income down and the war is breaking out and they're going to blow us up. I don't know if us get some beef jerky in a bomb shoulder Wait for Jesus. And I've got family members that are doing that. Like, you know, if you turn that generator on, I'll just come shoot you and take your generator. I don't need to buy one. I'll let you buy it. If it's that bad, I'll just come kill you and take yours. I'm serious. You can look at me fine, like, I'm not wasting money on a generator. If it's that bad, I'll just shoot you and take yours. You think I'm going to be fair? My family's starving, and I'm going to be fair? <laughs> now, boom.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <sighs> Jesus said, until he comes back, we'll be eating, drinking, marrying, giving a marriage, buying, selling, building, and planting. Jesus said, unless he lied, it will be business as usual to the day I return. There will always be an economy. People always have jobs. The day Jesus comes back, somebody died, somebody was just born. The day Jesus comes back, somebody just got married, somebody just got divorced. Life's going to go on. We get to decide. God said, I set before you life, death, blessing, cursing. You choose. We get to choose how we're going to live. So, I'm going to do a little show and tell. I'm going to hold this up. Just, just, you can't read it, but it'll, I'll pretend you can't. I realize I'm going to, have to start dealing with my kids different because I realize I'm born again. I'm spirit-filled. I'm on this planet. God is my rear guard, my high tower. The angels of God can't round about me everywhere I go. But I need my kids to know that because I have to use my faith. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean hell didn't come at you. Jesus never sinned once. They tried to shove him off a cliff. They tried to throw rocks at him. I mean, he went through hell on a regular basis. The apostle Paul prayed in tongues more than anybody wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He dealt with hell constantly. Second Corinthians, there's a list. Man, I've been beat to death five times, slapped with rods, locked in prison, shipwrecked at sea Like, Well, dear God, what use is it? No, you understand, I'm still here. Poison snake bit me, they locked me up. You can't stop me. What God's called and given me to do, I will fulfill. I didn't say hell would make a run at you. I just said you would be more than a conqueror and overcome it. But most Christians get stuck thumbs up. Well, I don't understand why happened. Why didn't God let that happen? I said, God didn't let this happen. I'm the family preacher. I do all the funerals and the weddings of my family because I'm free. So it doesn't matter whether you're a heathen, a Baptist, a Methodist, or a Pentecostal. I do it for free. And you hear the weirdest things at funerals. Okay. Well, I guess God needed them in heaven. Okay. I was in the middle of Odessa, doing one friend and uncle, and he's in the casket, and I'm at the front. We're filing by. We're going to go do the graveside service, and I had an uncle come up and check him me. Joe, really appreciate you coming down and doing the funeral. No problem, family. Well, I guess God needed him in heaven because he died early. And I'm just so mad anyhow. You know, I'm supposed to be in Nashville. I'm down here at this thing. I, I just squeezed his hand and said, no, God didn't need him in heaven. He wasn't any good to anybody down here. <laughs> and that was the truth. He is sorry. See, am people spiritually. Well, God must have needed him and took him home. Well, his wife's thrilled because he wasn't any good down here. I'll tell you that right now. People say the dumbest stuff because you know why? We're an ignorant people. God didn't take anybody. God promised with long life will I satisfy and show you my salvation. Length of days are in my right hand. God's promises, then what happens? The devil's a thief. If God promised prosperity, why am I broke? Because the devil's a thief. If God promised the love of God shed a pearl in my heart, why are my wife and I fighting? He's a thief. He's trying to steal my marriage, steal my family, steal my joy, steal my peace. I've been told I'm to resist him with the word of God. He's not afraid of me. He's afraid of this in me coming out of my mouth. This is the only offensive weapon I possess. That's why prayer is critical. We always make prayer a religious thing. Let us bow our heads. You can bow your head. It doesn't matter to God. You can look. Keep your eyes open. Well, if you bow your head, it's got to move quicker. No, you won't. I'm not listening because you didn't bow your head. And then I go, I eat all the time with preachers. Preachers pray over food like they're having a revival meeting. <laughs> oh, Father God, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We want to thank you for the birds, the bees, the large the trees. I said, it's a food prayer. <laughs> We're not even thanking them for it. We're praying we don't get sick off of it. <laughs> get to the point. So anyhow, I thought I'm responsible to do four things with my kids. Once the nation I realized who we were in Christ, gotta stay in church, stay in the word of God. Man, church, this, where you're in today is the only thing growing on this planet. Everything outside the local church is dying. Ozone's dying, economy's dying. We're not, we're growing. We are what's happening on this planet. We're the light, we're the salt, we help the sick, we help the orphans, we help the widows, we feed people that are hungry, help people that are in prison. We are what's happening on this planet. Outside us, nothing good's happening. That's why the devil attacks the church, makes fun of preachers, finds the idiots, and puts them on CNN. You ever wonder, my God, they're all going crazy. No, they just find the nuts and put them on TV. You don't hear about the good ones giving their life away for the sake of the gospel. They're not going to make the news. Good news does not sell. Bad news sells. We're going to interrupt this thing right now for some hell that's just happened, and we'll be back right after this commercial. to complete the hell that's just happened. We'll be right back right after this hell. <laughs> and there's six, 25 news channels... Oh, my God, that was horrible. Stay right here because they're going to recover. They're going to talk about the rest of us so as they come back. And all day long, first thing in the morning, people turn on the news. What kind of hell happened while we were asleep? <sighs> and then you go to work. It's salt Like, Did you see the, the hell on the news this morning? How bad, oh, how many people died and how much hell happened? <sighs> I thought we are the bears of the good news. I thought we're the armor bearers. We're the intercessors. We're the gap standers. No, we're the billboard for the devil. Did you see the hell? You, no, no, this many died. It wasn't that many. Did you see they lost body parts? Oh, who are we? Who have we become? And we wonder why God's not moving in life. God walks and moves through our words, life and death and the power of the tongue. Now, guys, I watch the news 30 minutes every day just so I know what to pray about. If you're feeding on that, the Bible says, I'm to meditate in this day and night. 3 John 2, beloved, I wish above all things you would prosper, be in health as your soul prospers. Joshua 1.8, if you meditate in this day and night, you'll prosper and have good success. Psalms 1, 1 through 3, if you meditate in this day and night, you'll prosper and have good success. But people aren't reading this, they're reading the news. They're not talking about this, they're talking about the hell that happened. Do you see how bad, how much, how high? And we're the church. Where's the good news at? I thought we were the bears of the good news. So I realized as a parent I had to change the way I live because I did that for years. Like I gotta shut the gate and find another way to live. So I realized Jesus grew in four areas. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. Well, if Jesus grew that way, I need to grow that way because my kids need to grow that way. Jesus grew in wisdom. Why is wisdom important? Well Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get yourself some. James 1, 5, If you like wisdom, ask God, He'll give it to you liberally. Proverbs three sixteen. Wisdom brings long life, riches, and honor. What are you looking for, long life, riches, and honor? How do you get it, wisdom? Where do you get wisdom? Well, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 34, 11, I pray twice a day. I prayed it this morning. I prayed it, Father, I give you permission to teach my family to fear you, for the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. With that wisdom, Proverbs three sixteen comes long life, riches, and honor. God watches over His Word. I need my kids to grow. Well, I realized something. My kids. I would get mad at my wife. I said, "What's wrong with my kids? Where, where did they get that at?" And my wife would say, "Go look in the mirror." <laughs> and I, what? They got it from you, Joe. You overreact to everything. <laughs> no, I do not. You're doing it right now. Shut up. You shut up. See there? There you go. <laughs> You've reproduced yourself. Good measure pressed down. Safe and running. Arts. Oh, help me, Jesus! I have got to change. And that took years, but I did. I'm the happy man at the family. You ever call any of my family? I am the happiness guru. I'll laugh at everything that's not even funny. (laughs) And I had to change what I did. And I'll just laugh. Praise God. It's better than cussing and crying. (laughs) Woo, have mercy. Thank you, Jesus. You know, my wife almost lost her toe last week. Just been healthy all of her life. Had six good babies. And just got a little cut on the bottom of her toe. It got infected and E. coli and every kind of E. thing got in there. And that thing swelled up, turned ugly like something in a science fiction movie. Like, that is skanky looking. (laughs) She said, "Yeah, I need to think. I better go see the doctor." And so we got a great family physician. We went and looked at it He said, "You're going to the emergency room right now." And so they took her over and said, "You're going in for surgery right now." And the first thing our doctor, not like him, he's a good guy, he said, "We're going to have to cut the toe off." No, we're just here to make it not look ugly. We're, we want to keep it. We just want to clean it up. <laughs> you ever had hell land on you just you didn't see it coming? And so the immunologist in there, the infectious disease guy, like, no, "We've got to cut that off. It'll run up her leg. We have to cut her leg off." Like. Now, see, we're, we're born again, spirit-filled believers, and we love Jesus. We pay our tithe, and we just love everybody. <laughs> now, this isn't right. <laughs> you know? The devil never plays fair people. I mean, I've had daughters almost die of spinal meningitis. I've had drunk drivers hit my baby's head on and run a red light one night. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean hell doesn't make a run at you. Right. Hell makes a run at everybody. Tests and trials of life come to everybody. What are we going to do with it? Well, maybe God's trying to teach us something. He's not stupid, nor is he weird. God's good, draws the unbeliever out of his goodness. Ooh, that was a deep revelation. So we had to start believing God. So, okay, we need to mouth to two or three witnesses. You don't mind if we get another opinion, so we're not cutting anything off today. Okay, just, I mean, she's not going to lose her leg tonight, is she? You know, okay, well, let's get some other doctors. And he was kind of mad, but he's my doctor, and he loves me. So we got two other opinions, so we finally got one guy in there, and he can't even speak good English. He was from India. And it's like, you say that real slow. <laughs> And Basie said, I think we can save it. I said, me too. All right. Well, I'm going with you. Can't speak English, but we're going to keep this toe. <laughs> I'm not making fun. It's just that he's a great guy. He's still like, so we just saw him last week. And so he said, yes, we can I think we can save this. So he went in and I can't describe it. It was kind of gross, but he, he did everything. And their and toes all just pink and there, and we didn't have to cut it off. And it's like for eight days, what are you trying to do? Well, we're believing God for a toe and we've been believing God for money and health and stuff and prosperity but right now the toe went to the top of the list <laughs> and all of a sudden he realized, what are you praying for? My wife's toe I'm praying in the Holy Ghost about a toe Shonda over that toe praying to <laughs> knot in that toe and grieving for that toe believing for a toe <laughs> I love my wife but I want to keep the toe never notice the toe much for now but we want to keep the toe <laughs> Because basically if you give up the toe, next it will be the foot and then it will be the legs. Like where's the devil going? Well, everywhere he can. So shut him down. Shut him down now. So <coughs> here it is. Here's the sermon. It's only three minutes long. I realize the word of God's critical. I'm a loverly provider. My wife's got her job description. My kids need to grow in wisdom, stature, favor, God, favor with man. And I'll kind of pick this up in the second service, but wisdom. Now here's the thing. I get my kids together every year. Just did it for the holidays and I, I take everybody on a Christmas vacation. They all get to go with me. I pay for it. And so they're weaving the married ones, and i pay for everybody. <laughs> if you can't drive, I'll fly you there, because I'm a Santa Claus stuck upside down in your chimney. Because <laughs> my wife said I had to. I have no option. We're going to do this every year, family vacation. But every year family vacation, all my kids get a blank piece of paper. I've done it for years. We sit down at Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's. Say, Here we go. It's Vision Day. Come on in. Sit down. Since I'm paying for it, they have to do it. Everybody gets a blank piece of paper. You have two minutes, 120 seconds. It's a six-word project we're do. Who, what, where, how, why, when. It's a secular seminar. They travel all over the United States. It costs $1,500 to go to it. I've been to it once. It's biblical. They just don't quote any scriptures. And it's a vision casting seminar for businessmen. How to cast vision to plan something. And so it's who, what, where, how, why, when. So I give my kids a blank piece of paper and I said, here you go. you got 120 seconds, two minutes. Who are you? Write it down. Here we go. Write it down. Who are you? And so I said, I want one sentence. Just get to the point. Now, the first year we did this, they had no clue what I wanted. I said, Who are you? What? So they're starting to write their name. I said, No, I didn't say, Who are are you? Not your name. I know your name. I named you. (laughs) I need to know who you are in Christ, in him, in whom. 133 scriptures in the New Testament alone, in Christ, in him, in whom. Who are you in Christ? You know who you are because if you don't, you're a doofus. So they didn't know. So I had to give them the first three scriptures of the first year. Well, now they've got to memorize. Who are you? Second piece of paper. Give it back two minutes what are you doing here? What? What are you doing here? We invited us to dinner. No, no, I don't mean at my house. What are you doing on this planet? You and Mom wanted to have us. No, we didn't. We were not thinking about you. You were a surprise. Trust me. You were not, you were not on my mind that night.
1: <laughs>
0: what are you doing on this planet? Where are you going? When do you plan to get there? And then I do it. Two minutes for each word, then I give them a blank piece of paper with five columns. Now that you know who you are, what you're doing and where you're going, of course they're confused. Well, what if I'm wrong? What if it's not God? Well then you're ignorant. God says you're his sheep, he's your shepherd, you'll hear his voice, the voice of a stranger won't follow. So maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're going to hell. If you can't hear God, maybe you're going to hell. Maybe you need to get saved, because saved people hear God. And it was quiet at Christmas too, like because <laughs> this is serious stuff. We're laughing. And so I give them five columns, okay? Now that you know who, what, where, how, what, when, tell me where you're going to be in five years. One sentence. Where are you going to be in five years? What? Where will you be in five years? Well, Sarah, my oldest wrote down, well, I'm going to be a junior in college. I certainly hope so. Where are you going to be in four years? What? If you're going to be a junior in college, where are you going to be in four years? Well, I'll be a sophomore in college. I guess so. Where are you going to be in three years? I'll be a freshman in college. Yes, you will. Where are you going to be next year? I'll be a senior in high school. Yes, you will. So where are we going this year? What? Where are we going this year? And she didn't know. I said, I can tell where you're going. You're going to summer school. because you flunked algebra two years in a row. <laughs> and you can't get into college without algebra two. It's the, only, it's the only math on the pre-college test, on the SAT or the ACT. It's all algebra two. And since you flunked it, we've got a problem. I don't want you living with me five years from now. I want you out of my house. And we're going to have to pass algebra two. So we're not going to Disney this year. You're going to six weeks of summer school to learn algebra. Praise God, wasn't that great? Okay, you're next now. What are you going to do in five years? <laughs> And it was a bad Christmas that first year. Man, Dad's read another stupid book, Mom. What's wrong with us? <laughs> no, I'm going to cast a vision. And so I make them write down every year we go through the process. And then we do a 5, 10, and 15-year plan. Because if you don't know where you're going, you're not praying about it. You're thumb-sucking about where you are. Jesus had a vision for his life. Jesus knew where he came from. He asked said, where you come from? Well, I laid down my glory in heaven. I took on the body of a man. I know where I came from. Mary had lost him for three days. Luke 2, 49, Mary Joseph had lost him for three days on a caravan. He's 12 years old. They find him in the temple sitting under the scribes in there, and Mary's mad at him. Where have you been? We've been looking for you for three days. Where have you been, son? Jesus answered back in the King James. He said this to Mary at age 12. Know ye not I need to be about my father's business? Jesus knew where he came from. He knew what he was doing here. And the Hebrew says Jesus is doing the cross for the glory setting in front of him. Jesus knew where he was going. Our job as believers is to take the revelation God has given us and teach our kids who they are, where they came from, and where they're going. You're going to fall down. You're going to get knocked down. But the Bible says the righteous fall seven times a They get back up. Get back up. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Well, there's no hope because there's been no faith taught. You are a child of God. loves you just like you are. gives you divine favor, and you've got enemies. But you're going to overcome them, be more than a conqueror. You're going to finish strong. You're going to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. So I was sharing last night, we've done this for years. and My kids, I don't have perfect kids because they didn't have perfect parents. But uh, I took all my kids and uh, I got four out of college. I got one just became a college professor, Sarah, the one that flunked for two years in a row. She is a college professor, made straight A's in college, not in math. I said, don't become an engineer. <laughs> if you become an engineer, build a bridge, write your name on it, put it on me because I'm not driving across it because you stink at math. You can't build a bridge. <laughs> My second daughter wanted to go into sports medicine. She's an all-state basketball player, went to college on a basketball scholarship. She wanted to go into sports medicine, so I'd make my kids volunteer. Candy, stripers, do stuff every summer. You're not sitting at home. You're going to volunteer somewhere. You get someplace by serving other people. And so she'd work in the emergency room in the hospital, and every time somebody would come in bleeding, she would throw up. She'd puke on them. (laughs) <laughs> right there at Candy Star. <laughs> and so they sent her home after the third day. We can't have her. She pukes on everybody. <laughs> so I told her, I said, I don't, know what, I don't know what you're called to do, but medicine's not it, and you're called to something else. It was something completely different. She's called to be an accountant. She has a degree in accounting, makes really big money, uh, has a corporation on the side, because accounting's real clean, paper, no blood, pencil. And so your gift makes room for you, brings four kings and makes you wealthy. My third daughter was a C student at best, B student every now and then. She was good with words because she was a middle child. She hated being a middle child. I hate being a middle child. I said, what? I hate. I get nothing new. That's right. We bought good stuff, and it still works, and you're going to wear it. Put it on. <laughs> and i got to help out with the other. Yeah, that's right. Because I had a 10-year span. She was the only kid in a 10-year span. My two came early. Ten years, I had one, then I had three and two and a half years. We finished real strong. Corey's in the middle. I said, you're a middle. You better thank God God made you a middle child. Because you're not going where the other kids are going. And so I got the story of Madeline Manning Mims. She just sang at the Maybe Center just last week in uh, Tulsa. You've got an Olympic track star. Mom would get her up every morning, lived in the projects, make her go downstairs and run around the block at 5.30 every morning. Mom would not try to make her an Olympic track star, born with bad lungs, trying to help her not die because of her lungs. Madeline said, you know, it took days. I'm running around the block every morning. Mom would get me back in bed, fix breakfast, and get me ready for school. And it dawned on me one morning and said, Mom, why do you make me get up and run every morning? I don't notice any of my friends out running. Because Madeline had no clue what mom was making her do. She said, my mom sat down on the bed next to me, and here's what my mom said. She said, darling, you're not going where the other children are going. Price you pay is different. Mm-hmm. And call, Most kids want to be like everybody else. I don't want my kids to be like anybody else. I want you so, so far out front nobody can see your backside. Mm-hmm. You're going to go somewhere, be in charge, be a leader, and serve people. Quit trying to be like everybody else, number one, because you're not like everybody else. So, Corey, my third daughter, was the only one that did not get a college scholarship. She got a 25% because her younger sister was really smart and got a full scholarship. So, she got a sibling scholarship for having a smart sister. Made <laughs> her so mad. She's, I said, Aren't you blessed? You're related to smart people. Hey, Scott. <laughs> well, Corey had to work her way in. took her a year and a half. She worked her way onto the uh, college newspaper staff, journalism major, uh, finished out with really good grades. and Finished out in a full scholarship the last two years. Anyhow, Corey and I own our own corporation, Stone Blood Publishing, and uh, she's the 50% partner with me, and the other kids are mad. Like, well, why did we not get to be a partner? Because you're not a journalism major. She's great with words. Corey, being a middle child could cut you, and you didn't even realize it. She'd say something to me, and I'd say, did you just cut me? And she would say, I'm sorry, Dad, did you take that wrong? I mean, how did you take that? You just cut me. You must have taken it wrong. I don't know. So being a middle child, she was schooled on how to use words. So that's, it's been a great gift. She's, like I said, she's got her own publishing company now, and uh, we, we do really good, and God's been good to her. Uh, Stone Bluff Publishing, the back of my book, Corey and I own that. And so my fourth daughter was in the, also, she became a nurse. My fifth daughter just got a college scholarship. We've been waiting three years. She wanted to go into interior design. I thought, that's a stupid thing to do, interior design. What kind of stupid deal is that? World's going to hell in a handbasket. We've got to help people. You're not going to go sticking interior design. And so my daughters, because they've been in the Bible all their life, shoved about 40 scriptures up my nose. Well, Dad, let's sit down here and look at God's temple when he built his temple. And so, you know, when he built his temple, he didn't hire any Jews to do that because none of them were craftsmen enough. He hired really good heathens. he got Syrians and Lebanese. He went everywhere else to get craftsmen to build his building. They didn't eat off paper plates. They were made out of gold. He didn't use donkeys. Jews didn't have any horses. He went to Egypt to get the finest horses. So when you get to heaven, you won't eat at a card table on a paper plate. It's a really well decorated place. <laughs> so it took three years to get into this school because they only take two hundred students a year. It's in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a more design school. It's twenty five thousand a year. And so we waited three years to get accepted. Finally got accepted. She started in January, got a $22,000 scholarship, only had to write a $3,000 check. It took three years of just being patient but working, but my baby is following her gift. And then, of course, my son, is my, he's my engineer, and he's my math major, but he's also going to run my ministry one day. I just haven't told him that yet. So <laughs> I'm way out of time. I'll show you this book. It's in the middle of our finance book. It has nothing to do with money. All my kids, I made a book years ago. It's got eight pages. This will take 60 seconds. Called this is my life because most kids don't know who they are. So I made this in a three-ring binder, made it up. I use this. This is my personal in the middle of my finance seminar. I got the meaning of their name. I said, "Your name is prophetic. You don't, don't, you don't wish you had somebody else's name. Make your name famous. How would you like to be named Engelbert humperdinck
1: <laughs>
0: What's your name in the book? My own name is Ingelbert Humberday. <laughs> You're going to get whipped on the playground. I'll tell you that right now. Because <laughs> you know, he makes so much money, nobody's making fun of Engelbert now. And so I went through and I put all these scriptures. And so these are, I'll just read real quick, Psalms 139 verse 15 and 16. All the days of your life were written in the book in heaven before your mother met your father. God saw you coming, has a plan for your life. Will not make you live it, but God has a divine plan. I don't care if they found you on the doorstep of an orphanage. I don't care if you were conceived in the backseat of a car. You did not shock God when you popped out. God has a divine plan for your life. I like this, Jeremiah 1.5. God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Your mom and dad might not have seen you coming, but not only did I see you coming, I have a divine plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans so I half you have plans to prosper, not to harm you, to give you future and hope. That was written to sinners going to Babylon because of their sin. That was written, hey, you sinners, I know your day's not going good. They burnt down your house, killed your pet goat, you're going to be a slave for Nebuchadnezzar. But I want to remind you, I didn't do this to you. You did this to yourself. I have no plans to harm you, you thumb-sucking sinners. I have plans to prosper you to give you a future and hope. You might have hell in your life. I didn't bring it. I am good all the time. Amen. That's good. Jeremiah 33.3. 3, says, this column to me. I'll answer you, show you great many things you don't know about. I like this in one, uh, Romans 11.29. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. There are people gifted every day to make money. They're in business. They're in athletics. And yet they blaspheme the name of God. Your gift makes you wealthy, makes you famous. Jesus takes you to heaven. The shame would be to know Jesus and not know you had a gift. That's the shame. And then the last is first Peter chapter four, verse ten and eleven, is everyone's got a gift. Use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He used the gift as speaking, speakers of the oracles of God, he used the gift as serving, serviceability God gives. My job as a parent was to help my kids realize who they were in Christ, that you are called and gifted to do something. I don't care how many times you flunked algebra, I don't care if you can't diagram a sentence, I don't care if they kicked you out of kindergarten twice. You're destined for greatness. And I collected 1,207 names, multimillionaires in America. The Dropouts all of Fame. Everybody from Thomas Edison. You know, Abraham Lincoln only went to the fourth grade. He only went one year. People who affected life became very wealthy and famous, and they had no education. I'm an educator. A, a degree will not get you a job. Your gift will get you a job. Your gift will make you famous. And everybody in this room, your kids... Are already gifted. Our job is to help them find out what it is. So let's stand up. We're going to pray. You learned anything this morning? Say this after me. said I am blessed. Come on. I am blessed and highly favored. My children will be mighty upon this planet. Wealth and riches will be in their house. And their righteousness will endure forever. You just quoted Psalm 112, 1 through 3. That's the word of God. You know what you want to do get you some three by five cards this year and start quoting what God said about your family. God forgive me for cussing my family, cursing my family, and say, You're not going to mount to nothing. You're dumber than dirt. Not going to mount to a hill of beans. I saw a hill of beans one time. It was in a soybean plant in, in Missouri. It was huge. Smelled like steak, too. I was impressed with a hill of beans. Anyhow. <laughs> your seed's going to be mighty. So I want us to close out by saying this. Say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father. I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It sets me free and it keeps me free. According to your word, I ask you teach my family to fear you. Surround my family with divine favor. Bring to my family godly friends that will strengthen us in Jesus' name. You believe that? Give them a hand clap. Thank God.